Good morning, Church of the Red Door. Are you ready for this? This is going to be good. It's going to be a little crazy, a little bit crazy today. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't quite hold this back. I think next week, I hope, I pray, we're, we're, we may have some, spe- well, we have spectacular news every week, but we're going to have some spectacular news for you on various fronts. You just take that for what it's worth. So, uh, anyway, I'm just trying to get you to come next week. No. But uh, let me pray one more time. Not that Randy's prayer wasn't efficacious, obviously. A right, a prayers of a righteous man availeth much, and he's a righteous man. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We are in desperate need of your insight into our world, into our purpose for being on the planet, Lord. And we need to be reminded of it constantly because the forces around us remind us constantly, tempt us constantly, pull us towards filth constantly. Lord, whether it be gossip or whatever it is, it just is the relentless pull of, well, something Jesus saw clearly, uh, the supernatural realm, uh, the fallen realm. So Lord, help us this morning. We need insight. We desperately need insight. We are in a battle. Help us understand we are in a battle. This is not about a good moral tale, about good moral people making efforts to do good moral things. Lord, this is about Jesus. This is about God taking on human flesh and coming, as the second song said, the preciousness of that blood to overwhelm and conquer those forces that set themselves against us. Lord, we need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so many of you know we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. If you'll remember, last week we looked at this extraordinary episode in the ministerial life of Jesus, certainly early on, where he took uh, the chaos of the natural order and he began to do something extraordinary. He spoke to it. He just spoke to it. Now, this may not have seemed that like maybe that big of a deal. Some of you say, it was just a lake. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe five miles across uh, Lake uh, Galilee or Gennesaret, depending on uh, who you're talking to. It's all pointing to the same thing. It was up in the northern part of Israel. But I'm telling you, you're out in a little boat like that, and you're about to be capsized out in the middle, and maybe you don't have your baby floaties with you or something, and it's, uh, it'll, it'll rock your world. And they were terrified that they were going to be capsized. And as I've alluded to before and did last week, I've been on that lake, I know. Uh, I know what that, those waves can get fairly substantive and a little tiny little wooden boat, I'm sure it was a pretty precarious situation. And he just spoke to it. Now, I, I could make it dramatic, you know, and a lot of the representations, oh, wind, you know, you know, kind of one of those, uh, we were in the Marvel comic days today where everybody's talking about superheroes and everything. I think Jesus just said, be quiet. Be still, you know. It, it, Jesus' voice is so overwhelming, so powerful. The Bible calls God's voice a still, small voice. And I'm not saying Jesus wasn't ever theatrical. He certainly was. When he, so we'll eventually get into in his passion where he goes in and upends the money changers' tables in the, in the court. But I don't know that that was necessary. The natural order knows it's subject to its creator, and that's Jesus. And so I, you know, I, I don't know why I'm so fascinated with this. I'm sure I've told you these stories before, but I'm just so, fa- I was so, I wept. I mean, it was very moving to me what happened in the Philippines, Indonesian islands and things uh, back, I don't know how many years ago when that tsunami hit and over 200,000 people lost their lives and there've been subsequent movies and uh, uh, regarding that. And I've just, I watched them. I just, what would, because I was thinking, what would I, what would it feel like 
and you see that initial swell, swell come in, and then, the, and then the water pushes back out into the ocean, and the people are like, hey, you know, there's fish flopping around out there, and everybody starts going out into the ocean, picking up these fish. And this is wild, not knowing that there is a, for, a tidal wave of a magnitude that they could never conceive underneath the surface. Ships out on the, the they feel something very magnificent, but once it hits the shore and you've seen it, and then, of course, in Japan a number of years back when that was, it, we, you, you were probably watching it. Uh, I was watching it live, and it just looked like a monster eating up the countryside as that black, that black tsunami pushed its way into the countryside, eating up house, home, cars, just engulfed them. Jesus, you need to know Jesus could have just said, be still. Maybe not just a little wave on. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be an asteroid. It could be a volcanic. It could be a supernova. It could be a galaxy. Be still. Now, most people don't see Jesus that way. Most people see he's a historical figure who was purportedly did a few miracles and lived a good moral life, and he started this thing called Christianity, and you know, and now people kind of believe into that, and then there's this fairy tale aspect of which somehow they believe they're going to be raised from the dead. But he was clearly a good moral teacher, and anybody with any historical knowledge realizes that the words of Jesus, in a very profound sense, shifted what we would call today the West, and really everywhere globally, but especially the West, and really laid a foundation for uh, many things, uh, not the least of which is democracy, which, by the way, didn't start really, its essence didn't start with the Greeks. It really started back in the Mosaic Law when you talk about an egalitarian system and judges and separation of powers and all that other kind of stuff. You know, this, this really has it all, and because God knows how in a frail human world it works as that you can't vest power in any one person except for he has all the power, except for the fact that he has all the power, and yet he's willing to wash our feet and come down and lay down his life for us. That's who we worship. That's extraordinary. Well, that's what he did last week. Well, he didn't do it last week, but we explored it last week, and this week he is going to not just calm the raging natural realm. He is about to calm the supernatural realm. Now, not calm in their hearts, but those who had been Afflicted with the fallen realm. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Now, I'm going to do this first, and then, I, and then I'm going to ha- look at this at Mark. The three, by the way, got three Gospels account for this. Uh, and uh, Mark and Luke and Matthew, all uh, the three synoptic Gospels account, and they give slightly different details. Obviously, we're in Luke, so I'm going to read through here, but there's some, a few additional details that we're going to even see with a little more theatrical basis, of which we will read in. Gospel of Mark, I believe it's chapter 5. All right, you ready? So Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizines. Now I need to stop for just one second because I'm going to fill you in just a little bit. So if you're looking at, if we're looking at the the Galilee, if we're looking at Israel, and there's the Mediterranean over here, and you're looking up at the top, there's the Galilee. Anything east is going to be Transjordan all the way up. And there was something called the Decapolis, which was really just means 10 cities. And most believe, not all, but most believe that this Gadara or Gadara was this little village on the eastern side of the Galilee would have been one of these 10 cities. Modern day, these 10 cities would have been as, as high as uh, modern day Assyria, Assyria rather, modern day Syria. A, a couple of those cities probably were what we would call in modern day Israel. And then the kind of the Transjordan, everything east and all the way, and then even further south in the Galilee, this was called the Decapolis, the 10 cities. 
this would have been one of them. Now, you've got to realize in the Decapolis, it was almost all Gentiles. Just northern Israel was uh, very dominantly Gentile, but especially east of the Galilee would have been Gentiles, and they knew that. Now, why would Jesus be going there? I don't know. Well, we're, gonna about, we're good about to find out. He knew exactly. And so when it's opposite Galilee in verse 27, and when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. Now, you need to know Matthew's account says two men, and that's fine, and that's not in conflict. We get this same thing. People say the Bible's in conflict with it. They come to the tomb. There's two angels. One says there's one angel. It doesn't say there was only one. It just says there was a man, right? Matthew's account said there were two demoniacs, but in in this account in Luke, it's, it was was one man. They could have gotten together if this was some conspiratorial thing. They could have gotten together and figured that out. This is not a problem at all to see these two accounts. It just says one particular man, doesn't say particular, but that's what it's assuming, met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time. Could have gotten a lot of attention on uh, social media. And was not living in a house, but in the tombs. We get three things here. Naked, demonically possessed, didn't live in a house, and lived among the tombs. Mark actually adds something, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, he used to break away constantly. Uh, and he was seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Now notice, one thing we need to learn immediately about the fallen realm is that they know exactly who Jesus is. This is not a battle they're wanting to fight, not a direct battle against Jesus. It's one of the beauties now of the new covenant is that Jesus lives on the inside of you. The fallen realm wants nothing to do with the Jesus on the inside of you because they know they're exactly subject to this now risen creator of the universe. He said, and I beg you, do not torment me. Some of your translation may say even torture, but torment. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and, and yet he kept breaking his bonds. And Now notice, he was driven by the demon often into the desert. That's what the fallen realm always wants to drive you into a very dry and dirty place. The demonic realm has one desire, and that is to see you collapse to move into filth because they live among the dead. Why do you think this man lived among the tombs? Why do you think all of our horror films, everything today, I don't touch that stuff. I hate it. I think it's absurd. But why does it all, it's always about something. Now, there's even kind of a funny one, you know, it's the Geico commercial and all that. And it's always got this setting, you know, there's a setting of tombs and this and that. And it's just always, that's kind of the creepy place to be. You don't want to be there. But that's exactly where the demons love. They love to live among the dead. And Jesus asked, what is your name? And he said, Legion. Now, this was, I don't get into all this, but this would have been thousands, not just one. For many demons had entered him, and they were implore him, imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss. Now, you need to understand, what is the abyss? Well, the abyss is a place for the disembodied uh, that would go, a holding tank, for lack of a better term, uh, the, a place of torment. We get a, Jesus alludes to this at various parables that he talks about. And they know that in Revelation, they are ultimately cast into this, this abyss, this uh, fire, this 
Uh, Matthew calls it a place prepared for Satan and his angels. This is a place you don't want to be, and they didn't want to be there. They would much prefer to be on earth causing chaos and mutiny and every other thing. Uh, so and, and Matthew's account, again, um, refers to this. And they say something, don't do it before the time. In other words, they know exactly their fate. It's already been settled. They know there will be a time where this conquering son of the Most High that they've just encountered will actually completely and utterly annihilate all their agenda and they will be separated from God and his presence and his redeemed creation for all of eternity. This is the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountains and the demons implored him not to permit them to enter the swine and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Uh, Mark, Mark's account said there were about 2,000 of these, of these pig, pigs. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man with whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed, clothed in his right mind. Now, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And they freaked out. They were incredibly frightened by this, as you can imagine. Uh, this is a power of which they were not used to. This guy, uh, one of the accounts says that he used to run, and, they, and he, people would even go by on the road because this guy would jump out. He was dangerous. I mean, this is somebody that we would put in a modern-day asylum or something. We'd remove him from public uh, because he, he literally could have easily brought harm, and I'm sure did at various points. And they were freaked out by the fact that Jesus just spoke, and this guy was immediately in his right mind. Verse 36 says, And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, and all the people of the country of the Gerizines and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat, and he returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, accompany him, then he sent him away, Jesus did. Return to your house. No, don't follow me at this point. This is not the plan that I have for you. Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the entire city what great things Jesus had done for him. Now, I know this may be a little repetitive. Mark brings a few different things, but I also, I want to... You know, I, I could have done something theatrical and feigned, you know. I, I want you to get the full picture of this. I, I think we can, uh, everything's so medicinal in our world, you know. We talk about the demonic and it's, you know, we make it funny and it's a little, uh, you know, and a pitchfork and tail and all this. We don't realize, we don't realize the power and the force and the impact that that has on people's lives. Maybe you do realize that. Um, maybe you do. You know, I know on the mission fields, I, I've got a few books. I don't have enough for everybody, but a couple certainly take one. On your way out, I purchased you some books. It was a friend of mine that I've alluded to before that's been on the mission field uh, in Egypt and, and India and to various places, and, and he count, he's encountered the fallen realm through demonic possession. I have encountered that in my ministry any number of times. doesn't happen very often, but it has happened. Uh, and I remember as a young boy, there was a man had opened him up to, himself up to the demonic, and he had murdered a guy and the local church that I was involved with. And 
and he was manifesting, and the pastor tried to, was a friend of mine, tried to uh, tape all the, the stuff that was going on in their encounters with this because they, they were trying to cast it out. But, you know, Jesus said some don't come out by prayer and fasting except for prayer and fasting. They didn't know how quite to navigate it. They thought, well, we need to get this. And they put one of those little tape recorders in there, and they, they taped the whole thing. It was maybe 10 minutes or so. And then they, they just said, okay, now we want to go back and play it back because this is freaking us out. And all the voices were there except for the voice of demon, the, the demon, and it didn't even tape. So it was like them talking and then no response, and yet they had heard it with their ears. There were multiple ones of them. So let me just tell you something. There's some freaky stuff. Many will argue that. They think it's absurd. You know, haven't we progressed to a place where we can discount demons? This is just uh, psychological problems that occur. There's the therapeutic model. And, and again, as I've told, told you at various points, one of the most confusing things for me, I'll be honest with you, most most confusing things for me is the overlap between the therapeutic model, which obviously has helped maybe even many of you within the hearing of my voice, through medicine and different things and, and therapy and some things. And there, certainly that, that, there's a valuable component to that. But where does that overcross with satanic influence and culpability and volitional decisions and all that? Because our world just likes to write everything off to some kind of a disease. It's definitely di- dis-ease. It's not, it doesn't make people um, easy. But what is, where's the balance and where's the over- overlap? And it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a hairy thing for me. I don't know how to navigate this water. I'm just telling you, I've dealt with the demonic. I've seen the demonic manifest. There's a book out for you, and he's got a couple of encounters in that book. So pick one up on your way out. My gift to you, Church of the Red Doors gift to you, please. And just and just kind of take his story and kind of what they've done. It's not all about the demons, but it's partially that. So before we go on, I want you to at least maybe try to feel this in a deeper way and uh, we're limited as to what we can play, but we use this thing called wing clips, and it allows us to grab things and actually use it legally. So would you watch the now account of Mark being read with some theatrics behind it, please? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank 
into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So, what import does this have for us? I mean, where, where does this leave us in the 21st century? Uh, very significantly. And first of all, let's get it. Jesus is master of everything. So that create, as I alluded to, it includes the created order, galaxies, anything, the atom, subatomic, the stars and the moon, and it, all of it is subject, all of it is subject to him. But so is the, so is the angelic realm, the supernatural realm, both fallen and non-fallen. All of that realm understands exactly who Jesus is. That is important to get. Let me be clear. That is absolutely important to get from what we see here. But what does it have to do with us? Very few in here would probably feel, uh, don't say it if you feel like your spouse is possessed, but very few would say, well, I'm possessed or I've, you know, or manifest, manifesting the demonic Again, I haven't seen it a lot in my ministry, but I have seen it. Nobody can persuade me that it was just a psychosis or something. There is a very evident possible, uh, rea not a possible, but a reality of the unseen realm. Uh, I've encountered it so many times, uh, I would say probably six or seven times. Uh, I know it when I see it. And demonic possession is one thing, but we're also going to talk a little bit about demonic influence. I'm telling you, I may have never physically been possessed, but I have profoundly been influenced by the demonic. And it's, dr it's drugged me into a place with dead people and filth and garbage of life. And that influence is profound. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this story? I'm going to tell you, as I've told you before, Israel was a picture of our story as a nation. So Church of the Red Door very much models Israel in our thinking about how to be missional, how to, how to go in and tell others about Jesus, all that. We recognize it has to start in Egypt. This is what we're talking about now in the demonically possessed People come to Christ, they get cleaned up, they get clothed in righteousness, they go into the wilderness, they're discipled, and eventually, hopefully, they cross the Jordan and they enter into the calling for which they have been prepared before the foundations of the earth. That's our task as the church, and without that template, I don't know what we're here for. 
I mean, I have seen places where you go to church and everybody's like, isn't it great that we're all good people and Jesus was a good person and let's not go out and be good people. It's just not enough. We need, the blood's involved here. There's some nasty things involved here. There's some, well, there's some offensive things involved with the gospel. The gospel is a rock of offense. What I'm going to tell you this morning is going to offend many of your sensibilities, whether or not you're here with us in the physical or you're just watching. Maybe you're watching this and on television one morning you get up and you're just you know here just enjoy something and all of a sudden you come across this i'm telling you this will be offensive i'll probably get some more letters but i've gotten plenty so you ready let's be offensive number one he was possessed by forces that enslaved him the bible's very clear even the most religious of jesus time even the most religious jesus said some very offensive things you may say, well, as they did, we, the religious leaders, we haven't been enslaved by anybody. And Jesus contradicted their tone. And listen to what he said, John chapter 8. Starting in verse 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, notice the Jews who had believed him and the Jews who didn't believe him, right? So did the Jewish people reject Jesus? Some did, some didn't. Did the Gentiles reject him? Some did, some accepted him. So don't read this as anti-Semitic here. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Boy, is that what we try to do here. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Boy, is that quoted oftentimes without the preceding comment, right? I've mentioned that to you all the time. Uh, if you continue in my word, then you're disciples. And then if you're disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not some politician or some, you know, some product. Verse 33, and they answered him and said, hey, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Just what we saw acted out on the screen. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. Is it offended enough? Would Jesus say that about you if he encountered you? You do the things of your father. Well, that's offended. I, you know, that doesn't go, that doesn't very go very well at my country club cocktail party. <laughs> that's... That's conversation I've never heard. Verse 39, and they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. And this Abraham, well, he didn't do that. And you are doing the deeds of your father. And they said, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I've not even come on my own initiation or my initiative, excuse me. But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father. And now he's much more specific, the devil. Hmm. It's a great sermon this morning, isn't it? You're of your father. I'm telling you right now, there was a point at which Jesus could have come down and looked me straight in the eye. He would, if he had chosen to do that in the flesh, and he could look me right in the eye, said, Jeff, you are of your father, the devil. 
whether I was possessed and manifesting like Legion did here, the Legion or not, he could have looked me right in the eye and said, you are of your father, the devil. You're a slave of sin. I don't, I don't need anybody to sit there and try to theologize or philosophize or any other thing. I don't need anybody. I know what was in the depths of my heart, and he would have been exactly right. Number one, number, number one is that he was a slave, literally in chains. We were spiritually enslaved and in chains, if you don't yet know Jesus. Number two, he was unclothed. Isaiah had seen this uh, well in advance, some 700 years before the time of Jesus. Listen to what Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And what, what, by the way, from a Jewish perspective, what could have been more unclean than living among the tombs? They had Jewish people had a very different view of death and how they handled death and ceremonial rituals and part of the Levitical law in dealing with death. It was a precursor to us even understanding about germs. Most of the rest of the world had no concept of this mosaic, this mosaic template for which they understood death. But they certainly wouldn't have hung out among the swine as well. I mean, you know, we got pigs here, the unclean. We've got dead tombs, every other thing. It said, you become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, uh, like the wind, take us away. And there's no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. God, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us from the power of our iniquities. So the clothing, it was either completely unclothed or the rags that were left were filthy. That's what God's statement about us is. It's offensive. If you don't understand this, you will never worship. When you look at those, I look, I know we got different forms and maybe like a different form of worship, but I've got to tell you, when I listen to these worship songs, and, and, and I try to focus in on the words, and, and, and I, it is easy. Can I just tell you, it is easy for me to worship because I understand this. I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be, oh, get away from me. Don't torment me. Don't torment me. Before the day, I mean, I, 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 that's what I deserve. And here, here's Jesus has come down, as we'll see next, and has clothed us with righteousness. We were naked, or if we had clothes, they were tattered, filthy rags. Unclean. world doesn't want to hear that. But that's the gospel. That then leads to worship and leads to your passion to know the word and leads to your desire to glorify God. Zechariah, I've preached on this before some at various points. Zechariah chapter 3 is this unbelievable picture. This is a literal high priest named Joshua during this time of the rebuilding of the temple, Zechariah 3, but it gives us great insight into God's plan for all of humanity, and it deals again with clothes. What kind of clothes do you have on, spiritually speaking? You could have the finest threads on. You could have a, men, you could have a Brioni suit. I've never owned one, but they look pretty nice. You know, fit right to the T. You could have the finest apparel, the finest everything, and, and yet, as God would see, you could be in filthy rags spiritually. That's what we're talking about here. Verse 1 of Zechariah 3, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Don't have time to get in this. 
Many scholars believe, I happen to be in that camp, not including myself as a scholar, but many scholars believe that the angel of the Lord is a is Jesus prior to coming. Uh, and so the angel of the Lord and was standing with Satan, standing his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord has, who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Josh was the high priest. If anybody was going to be clean in all the world, it would have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it would have been his high priest. Are you following me here? If anybody's going to be righteous, if anybody's going to have clean clothes, and yet it describes Joshua, the high priest, as a brand plucked from the fire. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel, and he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with festal robes. Now, if you understand this picture, you understand much of the New Testament symbolism, especially when you get to Revelation and the picture of the saints and white, clean garments, and, the, and the elsewhere it'll say the righteous acts of the saints, or these, they're clothed in the righteous acts of the saints. It's both symbolic and literal. I don't know if I'm actually going to have a robe. I want to be going to different galaxies. I don't know what I'm going to happen one day, but I don't want my robe to be flying up. Anyway, I, you know, I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be good, but it's, th- this is a spiritual picture. You've got to understand. I'm sure Joshua looked amazing in his high priestly duties, but from a spiritual perspective, he was in filthy garments. He said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And so he put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments And while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord, if you walk in my ways and if you perform my service and I will govern and govern my house and will give charge of my courts, I will grant you free access among those standing here. This is a strange encounter, but it is a prefiguring of the gospel. It is a picture of the angel of the Lord. It is a picture of Jesus clothing you, removing your filthiness, and clothing you in righteousness. And it's given us this beautiful picture as Joshua the high priest. Now, Psalm 132, verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He's desired it for his habitation, his resting place, uh, verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy the needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. What does that mean? Salvation. Salvation is not just I'm going to heaven, not going to hell. Salvation is the thorough cleansing, sanctifying of your soul where you can go into a dirty world and be a light, right? So that the moths will come towards you. And if you don't know what that means, then you need to come to church. You need to come to church more because I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. So now again, we get this. I'm going to go into great detail. First Peter chapter two, uh, he says, you're a royal priesthood, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. We are in fact now acting as priests and we are clothed with his salvation as a result. And then as I alluded to a minute ago, Revelation 19, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Your clothes, is this literal? No, it's, it's a symbolic picture of you're not that, you know, 
a voice is coming out, fill either completely naked and in chains or filthy garments, living among the dead. You're no longer, spiritually speaking, that person. This is, this is, why, this is why this is the greatest thing of, of all. But the world doesn't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that they're enslaved. They don't want to hear that they're unclothed. Or if they are, it's with filthy garments. They don't want to hear that. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city. Now notice his language, until you are clothed with power from on high. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So what am I also clothed with? Salvation symbolically, the, the righteous acts of the saints, right? I'm clothed. I'm also clothed with the Holy Spirit. So when the Lord looks at me, he doesn't see the filth that I used to live in. He doesn't see that I used to live among dead people and like it. He doesn't see that I like to, uh, the place I like to be was among the pigs. He doesn't see any of that. He doesn't see it anymore. Clothe that, clothe that young man. And he did, years ago. And I, I still had some filthy stuff and still struggle with some, some stuff that goes on in my soul that I just say, Lord, please, I'm begging you, continue the sanctification process. I'm not as dressed as I want to be, but I'm telling you, I'm clothed in the Spirit through the born-again process. I'm clothed with his clothing, and, and there have even Jesus has even been able to do some things through my yielded body that resulted in righteous acts. It was his power in me, even to sit here and preach this sermon. It's powerful, isn't it? Lastly, thirdly, and lastly, he had no home. He lived among the dead, and again, he was comfortable among the dead. <clears throat> So Jesus was very, very pointed at, at this. You're slaves. You're naked. You're of your father, the devil. This is not just some concoction that I'm drawing up to make people feel badly about themselves, feel bad about themselves. Uh, this is not. This is straight from the lips of the one in whom we worship. It's Jesus, indictment on humanity, which leads us to want to follow him and trust him for all of eternity. Luke chapter 9, verse 59, he said to another, follow me. He was talking, he preached again, he had taught, and then some people, hey, we want to follow you, follow me. But he said, Lord, uh, permit me first to go and bury my father. And, and he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Does God not care about family? Of course he cares about family. I talked about it here this last few weeks. Of course he cares about family. But there is a spiritual analog here that's so important for you to get. Jesus is ultimately saying, look, the that's past. That let the dead, dead people who are spiritually dead, bury the dead. If you'll follow me, you're going to come out of death and into life, and then I'm going to send you back to the dead, and then they're going to come to life. And that's going to be much more profitable than you going back and being at the funeral of your own father. Now, that may be offensive because it would seem dishonoring, but what's more honoring than to care about people's eternal lives? Now, he didn't say all that, but that's exactly what he's saying. He's not dispassionate or, or uncaring about this these rituals that accompany someone dying. 
But there is something far greater and much more important that come follow me. I'm going to bring you to life and then you can go back and you can go among the dead and they too will come to life. Ephesians chapter 2, we've looked at it over and over. It's somewhere. If you don't know this, please memorize this verse. This is not complicated. If you say, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't really know how to talk to people about Jesus. This is the foundation of the gospel. What is it? And you were dead in your transgressions and sin, sins, in which you formerly walked according to what? The course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's legion. That's the head of legion, Right? of the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. There's a spirit about it. You don't necessarily have to be possessed. There's just a spirit of the age, and you can sense it. You can feel it. People are connected to Christ and people who are dead. And you say, oh, I'm offended by it. Of course, it's offensive. It is offensive, but it's, but it's true. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. What Paul's saying is we were all that way. Paul was so religious, he says, that was me too. I was enslaved. I was naked and I should have been ashamed, but I wasn't naked and unashamed. I had no home. I loved being among the dead. I thought, I thought we were the God's gift to create to all of humanity. We were, Paul was of the the pharisaical thing. We're the light of the world. We're, we're the ones with all the information. And now Paul says, I was nothing but a dead man. And I know it because he knew what was in his heart. And I, and I loved the filth. And I, I loved to kill people. And what Jesus said would have been true about me because I encountered Jesus, Paul would have said, on the road to Damascus. And I had murder in my heart. This new group of Jews who were following Jesus and claiming that he was resurrected, I was bringing them back to Jerusalem to have them killed murder was in my heart i was of my father the devil so you see that this is not some isolated interesting story about jesus this is the story of us all at some point where are you this is my question to you today where are you as it relates to jesus have you been clothed in his righteousness have you found a home are you drawn to the tombs are you drawn to filth and pigs and all that that represents are you is your are you drawn to that or are you drawn to the worship of the one who created you and died that you might be clothed and set in your right mind that's the question Our culture just, they don't want to hear this. But I will, I promise you this, Lord willing, Lord, if the Lord will empower me, I will go to my deathbed beating this drum. I don't care if I shrinks and there's only one person listening to me and they have earplugs in. I'm going to screen this from the top of my lungs. This is why we are church at the red door and not church of the wonderful people. We are a community that's been clothed. And many, you are wonderful. But we are a community that's been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So the question is never for evil. It's never been hard for me. 
because I, I knew what was being played in my mind and still know the pull of the flesh towards the tombs and the swine, right? But Ecclesiastes 7 could not have been more clear. Solomon got it exactly right. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, don't take so seriously all the words that are being spoken about you. By the way, just don't freak out when people talk smack about you. I mean, just get, it's okay. Why? Because you will, if you hear your servant cursing you, but you will also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed other people. Why do you get so upset with people cursing you? Have you ever cursed anybody else? Are you, are you, are you guilty? If you are, you're in a great place because you have somebody that's going to absolve you of that, and you can, that can happen today. So my final couple of thoughts, Jesus was the master, clearly, of the universe. But the people who came and saw this man in his right mind, they gave in to fear. Well, why? What was it? How do you, you encounter the master of the universe? Leave us, please, go away from us. But there also could have been another reason. Uh, 2,000 pigs in that day, that was a lot. That's like, I don't know, hundreds of Apple computers or something. I don't know. I mean, that was, that was somebody's livelihood. Maybe, maybe the entire village's livelihood or everybody was going to. And maybe they didn't want the risk of future loss being around this master of the universe who can merely speak and see this kind of change, significant change. But they didn't want to risk any. Maybe that was that. But I'll tell you that Jesus tells the newly clothed. Why didn't he say, okay, come with me, I'll teach you? I don't know. He did. Some he said follow and others he didn't. But Jesus is always sending us back. Once we're clean, he sends us back. You know, there's an interesting story. It's a true story, and I won't give any of the names uh, to protect the, the guilty. But uh, we, were, we, were, we were at a country club with one of my, one of my ministry friends, and, and, uh, and I had... I had been called to this gentleman's house. He was a foreign, he was a CEO of a foreign, Fortune 500 company kind of guy, a big company. All of you would know. And uh, he was not a believer, but his wife had uh, gotten cancer, and it was it was stage four. It was pretty bleak, and neither one of them knew anything about it. And maybe I've told some of you the story, but they 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 came in, and he called me, and so I took in my little briefcase and went over there, and I sat down. And I said, "Well, what do you have me here for? Why, why, why have you called me here?" And and uh, he said, "Well, you know, do your religious thing or something. My wife's dying. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, neither one of us go to church, and we, you know, I, we don't know anything about." It. I said, "Well, I got nothing to offer you except for what's over in that briefcase, which was uh, lying there on the uh, floor." And I said, "I do have a Bible, and I can give you I, I, what I believe is God's story about who you are and why you're here and." what all this means and I said if you're interested in that I can do that and so I did I took about 45 minutes and kind of went quickly through Genesis through Revelation and all of you are like yeah right but I did and kind of gave them a narrative of this and then I packed up my bag and I said you got you have a decision to make and so I was walking out of the door and he said no stop come back in he started pounding the table you know I want to get born again now somehow in the course of 45 minutes, he recognized that he was the demoniac. He was. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't foaming at the mouth or manifesting demons, but he realized that he was a slave, that he was unclothed, 
and that he was without a home in a sense. And then he loved, he loved living among the dead and the filthy things. He says, I don't know about you, he told his wife, and she was from a different country. I, 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 Germany, she said, I want to get born again as well. Why do you tell that story? Well, fast forward a few weeks later to the baptism. So we're at a home at this country club, and, and quite a few people had showed up. Maybe even some of you in here were there, and, and they showed up, and they got baptized. But there were so many cars at the club, you know, all these different cars that somebody drove by, and they were upset. They were so mad because they didn't get invited to this party. Like, we invite this couple to our parties, but now they're having a party, and they didn't invite us. So they went up, and they were like, you know, what's going on here? You know, this is, this is why didn't we get invited to this party? And, and my friend, who's just a master of capturing what's going on here, and he said, oh, come in, come in. And can I get you something to drink? Remember, this is a baptismal. Yeah, I'll have it, you know, whatever. I don't know anything about mixed drinks, but some kind of mixed drinks, you know, and, and uh, James Bond Martini or something. I don't know what it was. And so he just totally wisely went back and mixed them up some drinks and brought them out of drinks, and they're looking around, and they're like, all right, here's all of our people. I mean, we don't know any of these people. What is, what kind of thing is this? And everybody's kind of standing around and nobody's, you know, I don't know, swinging from the chandeliers or anything or nobody's jumping naked into the pool or anything, you know. I don't know what they were expecting, but, oh, there they are. And then they saw this couple who had just gotten baptized, that I had just baptized. And so they, they went over there, oh, finally somebody we know and they're drinking and said, what are you doing? Why? Hey, why are you so wet? I mean, you're the only two swimming here. Is this a swim party? And you're the first... Well, we just got baptized, and they were just like, oh, well, you know, what is this? This is, a, this is our baptismal party. And they didn't know quite how to react to that. They didn't hang around long. They were out the front door, sadly to say. But his comment is very indicative of how we tend to respond sometimes when we are the clothed ones. We just want to hang out with Jesus, right? I just want to go with you. I just want to be around you. Say, you say my, and that's a good thing. Be around Jesus. But what they said next was very insightful because they were right and they were wrong in a sense. They, and he turned to my friend, the newly baptized former CEO of this big company and said, you know, I just, I feel so clean right now. I don't want to be around that unclean stuff talking about his friends. You know, he was dead serious. He was just like, I'm clean and I don't want to be around those people anymore. There is a tendency for the church to say, I'm clean now and I don't want to be around that anymore. And that's a good instinct. But Jesus says, I want you to be around them. And he sends them right back into the world. You go tell the people, you go tell your own people. See, each one of you have some kind of calling, some kind of something. You grow up in a particular place, an order of people. You, you relate to people that I can't relate to, and I do too, and we become part of that culture. I drive a certain car and look a certain way and, have, and wear certain clothes, and, and I have a foundation and access to certain demographics of people. And I'll just be, be honest with you. I grew up at the country club. Golf's all I ever knew growing up. I've been around that for out here and, and you know, all this stuff. I'm not bragging about it at all. It's just where God put me. And so, I could just follow Jesus and say, okay, let's go with Brent to India and do that. And maybe that he could call me to do this. But you know what? Jesus didn't do that with me. He says, okay, now I want you to go back and tell the people that you know. Because they're going to see you. And I'll close with this. 
Uh, I, you know, some of you know, uh, you know the the valley here. Uh, I was I was one of the pros, one of the pros at the Vintage Club 30 years ago. My goodness, and and the guy that was the outgoing guy, and I, I'm telling you, at that point, I loved living among the tombs. I loved the, I, I was a mess. I can I just tell you, I was a mess, and it was evident to everybody. I had real issues, real problems. And somehow this pro who's now since retired many years. Was Somebody ta- told me this, and he said something very interesting. He said, you know, I've seen, I've been watching what's happened with Jeff. And, of course, he knew about, you know, we do a sunrise and this and that service and all, all the people and the baptisms that are going on over at our club and all this. And he said this. He goes, I, I knew a lot about Jeff. But then he said, but I never saw that coming, speaking of my religious transformation he goes i I'm, i consider myself a very insightful person who can but i never saw that coming not from that guy so because that was my place in which i lived it's easy for me to go back into that culture and go we saw that guy he was enslaved and naked and living in filth and we know and it, we, he was dangerous to be around and and now, they may not say that in a literal sense, but that's essentially what he was saying. He's like, I never saw that coming. Now, what if I, what if I had just, that had happened, and I left and went where, you know, I'm following somewhere, and I go to somewhere? They would have never seen the guy that was, well, they would have never seen Jeff Cranford, the demoniac, come back and be clothed and in his right mind. Where's God put you this morning? So uh, the fact of the matter is uh, the story of the demoniac, is all of our stories, offensive or not. It's the story. And uh, we were slaves. And we're going to close with this. You, you do as you feel led. Uh, we're going to close. I, this is one of my favorite songs. And it, but it involves, the picture here involves, I'm no longer a slave is what the song is called. And, and I want you to think deeply about this. And let me just tell you something. If you say, I am still enslaved, I've never really chosen to follow Jesus. I want to get baptized. You find us, find me, find Pastor Paul, find Randy, find any of our elders. I mean, there are plenty of people. Just tell anybody and they'll lead you to somebody. Say, this is what I want to do. I don't want to be that. I, I, I do. I love living among the dead, but I don't want to anymore. And I, I'm tired of the filth. And it's, 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 a, it's a cancer on my soul. And I can feel it. And this resonates with me. I think this is true. Then don't you leave. And then for those of you who say, I can say I was no longer a slave. Notice, this is, now, he's, now that you're not a slave, you don't just stay. You, you get on this new journey. And this is the glorious, exciting path. And so it kind of gives you, it's going to kind of give you a f- picture of walking down this journey that's unknown. What's around the next corner? So let's close with that. As soon as it's over, be prayerful during this worship song. And uh, I'll be out in the back. And if you want to accuse me or point a finger at me, I'll be there for you to, you know, you punch me right here. And I'll go get my pads on. All right? I love you folks. I hope you enjoy this worship song.